Dogs of Warcry is a new podcast from the Mortal Realms, focusing on Warcry, a fast-paced, cinematic skirmish game by Games Workshop. Join us for discussions on gameplay, rules, lore, painting, terrain building, campaigns, and events. In episode one, we discuss how our first impressions matched our expectations and our Warcry plans for the future. Welcome to the Warband. My name is Eric, or Stone Monk Gamer, and answering the call with me this week is Aaron from the Mortal Realm Story Phase. How you doing, man? Pretty good. How are you? Good. And Josh and Pavend, who are both seasoned narrative gamers from our local scene here in Madison, Wisconsin. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Doing good. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining me, guys. If you've been listening to the Mortal Realms, obviously you're familiar with Aaron. Pavin and Josh are just great gamers that, you know, Pavin, we don't get enough games in, uh, I'm afraid. We've got to fix that here with Warcry. But I thought we'd get some new vo- new voices, some new perspectives uh, as we're launching this new thing. Uh, so let's start off with some hobby because it feels like Warcry has sparked a ton of hobby for a lot of people. Um, so, Aaron. That's me. What, what Warcry projects are you working on? Let me tell you about it. So I think I'm going to start, and by I think, I mean, because I've already done it. I'm going to start with uh, Iron Jaws. I hear they're really strong, and oh, man, do I love chasing the meta. Um, so I'm going to be working on my my J- Germs cell. I don't know. That name is a work in progress. So I'm going to work on it. But um, basically, it's a, a mixture of my uh, brutes that I actually already do have painted up, so it makes my life a little easier. And um, some Ard Boys, which will actually just be my Underworlds um, uh, Dangle Bros, basically. Um, we'll mix and match that uh, that combination. Um, so I do need to paint uh, the Ard Boys. Uh, I did undercoat them today, actually. And uh, so that's yeah, that's where I'll that's where I'll start. Uh, I am sort of assembling my my gits too, but that'll be I'm sure years and years from now before I ever get to like <laughs> working on those. Uh, additionally, I do have all three of the terrain sets because I have, quite frankly, a problem um, buying stuff. Uh, so I'm still trying to decide what I want to assemble first. Eric, you have all these like tables that you're putting together. Honestly, I don't know that I ever need to. Uh, so yeah. they'll probably go on the shelf, and I will admire them daily. Uh, and personally, I can't decide what I'm more pumped for: uh, that sweet, sweet narrative, or that sweet, sweet organized play swag. Uh, Pavend, uh, what's your first warband going to be, and what else are you working on for Warcry? My first warband is going to be my Boomspite Gits, who I've been like trying to finish painting. I got the Loon Curse box, and I just finished up the last group of Bounders. Uh, they're tentatively named the Gloomy Gang or the Squig Squad. Uh, you know, I'm going to really <laughs> bring, up, bring up for the first game and see see what those feels. names are way better than my names. Yeah, I think alliteration is where is the height of my um, cleverness. <laughs> it's but. key. Um, what I want to paint next is I really want to paint some terrain. Um, I really want to paint a Loon Shrine because that kind of goes in with the whole theme. It's not very playable for Warcry, so I'm thinking about like adding some scaffolding or something around there so you can get up on that thing. Um, but yeah, that's that's my hobby. I know a, a pretty good video about creating scaffolding with Sprue. <laughs> you can check, you can check out. <laughs> very cool. I've got lots and lots of extra uh, Sprue if you need it, Pavin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, cool. Josh, what are you working on? What's your first war, war band going to be? 
Yeah, so um, you know, I, I play the Cauldron Overlords in AOS, so obviously that's not an option right now. So I do love Lovecraft and other sort of um, madness, reality-shattering themes. So the uh, I had to go with the Cipher Lords, and uh, I think I'm going to call that Warband's going to be the Envoys of Madness. Uh, I've got to figure out some color schemes, but I'm going to use some color shift paints, I think, to kind of go with the Zinchian sort of unreal sort of feel for the warband. Uh, in the meantime, I'm also getting the uh, Warcry box set put together and uh, get the warbands in the train. I'm going to get it assembled so we can uh, start playing some games here at the house and other places. And I did pick up the Shattered Storm Vault box set, but I haven't cracked that open yet. I wanted to get the main set together first. And uh, lots of brainstorming ideas for potential tables, to, you know, to take to different locations just so people have a variety of thematic backgrounds to put the terrain on. But uh, still doing a lot of brainstorming for what particular theme and kind of see what other people put together so I can pick something that's a little different so we have a little bit of variety. Josh and uh, I and Davey and another friend uh, were starting – we played down some Necromunda for a bit and uh, Josh was uh, quick to fire up the terrain um, – building and collecting kind of engine um and in the process even you picked up a 3d printer do you have any plans for you know uh getting any uh, 3d printed stuff on the table or what's your plans yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) well the the first thing i've done is uh some people have already put out some nice war cry trays for putting your dice in uh, the different uh, combinations doubles triples quads and as well as holding the, the warband card and tested one out this last week, and it works great. So I've been uh, printing some of those off, and, and some people have actually offered to buy some. So I'm getting some of those up and running for Thursday. But, uh, nice. but yeah, there's tons of nice potential terrain out there, which is modular or even just could be like uh, objectives or add some particular themes for buildings or you know, other sorts of things. So there's, there's lots and lots of options. So definitely. Nice. Very cool. Can I commission one of those trays? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, those are those are cool trains. It's cool. Um, again, just seeing what the community at large is kind of putting their creative efforts towards Warcry in a lot of different ways. So that's that's been fun to see. Uh, I mean, my main hobby has been you know sharing and liking and oogling everybody else's stuff. Um, my first warband is going to be the Untamed Beasts. I know they're in the starter set and maybe everybody's got them, but um, you know they were I don't know when. Uh, they're the warband that kind of just epitomizes the the Conan the Barbarian or the uh, um, you know just kind of that uh, muscle bound um, chaos brute. So I'm excited about that. Uh, putting them on the table, I am going to name them the Dogs of War Cry or the Dogs of War something like that. Uh, just because we've been working on this behind the scenes for a little bit. Uh, so because of that, I'm going to take out the the Rock Tusk Prowlers because those are big cats. And I th- I'm going to try and model in some of the flesh hounds, uh, the chaos flesh hounds. Uh, it was between that and some of the Phenerisian wolves, and I kind of wanted something a little more chaosy and bony and stuff. And I feel like those have more potential, so I'm going to go that route. Mm-hmm. Um, Eric, I, I really appreciate your uh, commitment to the brand. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, how else am I going to get the local people finally listening to our podcasts? <laughs> It's it's funny we don't we don't get out enough. Yeah, you could just invite him to be in the podcast. <laughs> hey, <Right>. problem solved. <laughs> Is it Paven? I just wanted you listening to us more, so I invited you on. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, 
I'm starting up. So I was asked by a local games workshop, uh, Warhammer store um, uh, manager event to run the league uh, first Warcry narrative campaign. Uh, and that starts Thursday, the 22nd. And so I've been preparing some for that, trying to get that ready and figure out what I'm going to do for that. Um, so that kind of jumped at me while trying to put, you know, stuff for this podcast together. Um, I've been putting out a ton of a ton. I put out six videos on our YouTube channel uh, for for Warcry, and someone's been terrain painting, terrain building, uh, some different stuff like that, and it's been a lot of fun. And I feel like I got over a couple of technical hurdles to actually put out stuff that was semi decent. So if you like semi decent stuff, go check out the can't say the that YouTube about your own videos. I can't I, say they're semi decent. I can say it about your video videos. Okay, they are decent. Thank you, Aaron, very much. Because I'm uh, an objective third party. Um, and I do have a quick. I have to put this out to here. This is a sponsored part of the show, only because um, about a month ago I put out an idea for a war cry table that was a shanty town, and I've I've recounted this story on a, in a video, but. Um, kind of this idea of a shanty town outside of a, one of the major Sigmar cities. Um, and you're jumping around on all of the different rooftops and ladders and walkways and um, stuff and was contacted by uh, war cradle studios. Um, and they do terrain and other things. And they're just launching um, their kind of new fantasy world called um, Gloomsburg. And so they sent me four kits, five kits, to start working and, and building that project. So I've been doing a little bit of that little by little. Obviously, I've got a few other things that have been happening. Um, but I was super, super psyched to get that kind of support from, uh, you know, a, a terrain builder in the or terrain um, uh, seller in the in the community. They're trying to create cool fantasy terrain that's MDF. Uh, so far, the kit, the stuff that they've, the sprues, I guess you'd call them, have been super easy to pop out. Uh, and the MDF is fun to work with. It's a different than plastic, uh, but it's got its own strengths. And so I'm looking forward to kind of showing more about that project. This thing's going to take up like half the board. Uh, so, so it's hopefully it's or you know it's going to be a fun kind of interactive piece and not just something you avoid. So, so what are you going to put on the other half of the board then? Oh uh, my charisma! <laughs> You'll put it in the board. middle. <laughs> Two words for that. Well, then we'll have some scattered terrain, some other cool stuff. So, uh, but one step at a time. But if you're interested in this shantytown work ride table, uh, definitely be checking out. Uh, I'm going to be putting up some photos soon. All right. Um, so that's a little bit. Everybody, you know, um, good job by the way, and all the work you guys are doing, uh, putting the hobby out there. We do it for you, hey. big guy. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. And then we're going to come back and jump into uh, some conversations about what is Warcry, the setting, the warbands, and expectations. We'll talk to you in a minute. So you like podcasts about miniature games, huh? If you want to dive deep into the Age of Sigmar lore through Black Library novels and army battle tomes, check out the Mortal Realms podcast hosted by Aaron, Davey, Paul, and myself. And if you're into the miniatures and deck building game Underworlds, spend an activation on What the Hex, where Davey, Phil, and other guests talk casually about improving your fun and gameplay. All right, enough of this not Warcry stuff. Cool. All right, welcome back. Um, we're going to get started talking about what was Warcry to us when we heard about it, and what is it to us now that we've got more information? Because there was a lot of 
speculation out of the gate. There was a lot of kind of not sure if it was going to be something that we wanted to get into or not um, individually as a group, et cetera. But we've had some time to sink in. We've maybe had two or three games, uh, that sort of thing. So um, I guess we'll start off with uh, we, we knew it was going to be a skirmish game, which meant it was going to be a small model count kind of, um, you know, war bands. And we knew that it was going to be chaos, that the primary focus was going to be on these chaos war bands in a chaos setting. Um, I guess first and foremost, were you, you know, uh, I'll, I'll shoot to, to Josh. What did you feel about a skirmish game, first of all, and then second, about it being in a chaos setting? Did that, uh, did that appeal to you or turn you off or anything like that? Uh, well, a mixture of things, you know. So I've played, you know, Necrobunda, Kill Team, Mordheim, and uh, and even Age of Sigmar Skirmish. And so I had a lot of hope, you know, that it would be a really, you know, a newer, better uh, skirmish game than the than the current AOS skirmish system was. But I figured it probably wouldn't be like Mordheim, which was extremely detailed, and, and I enjoyed it quite a bit and played quite a bit of that when it was available. So I was kind of hoping it would be somewhere in the middle. And and I think it kind of has. It's come out it's it's better than I had hoped. So that was nice and it, I think it plays really quickly and I think it has enough detail that it adds enough flavor that uh that it, you know provides that narrative uh, hook so to speak for me. Um I think originally with the chaos setting it, it it kind of had mixed feelings on it. I was like, well, they haven't delved into it a lot here and it kind of reminded me of uh, how they did the realms of chaos books way back in the 80s and 90s and so i think that kind of drew me back to the chaos side even though i knew i wouldn't necessarily have my current aos faction available but you know and i think the models just kind of hit it for me it's like oh wow there's a huge diverse range and they're not you know specific to a particular chaos god and i think that's what really tied it down and said yeah this is going to work out nicely so nice nice Paven, what was that like for you in terms of kind of the anticipation and then what came in the box or what what was available on release day? Uh, I was super pumped. I really like uh, small model count games. Uh, it makes them less like I feel like I can participate more quickly because I really like playing with like fully painted stuff. And it takes me a really long time to paint. Um, I also like the chaos, like when it was like announced as being like chaos focused and um I was also really on board with that because I love like things that really have like a narrow, um, like narrative themes and just being able to focus on this one place in the mortal realms and just talking about the chaos fighting chaos. I thought was really cool um, that they expanded it to include other factions that would be there and like, you know, mucking stuff up is also great and it allows more people to participate. But I do like that the thrust of the narrative is in this specific area. Mm-hmm. Did you have uh, any play any chaos or or have a proclivity to chaos prior to this no i've yeah. almost, i've never collected any chaos models almost ever except for maybe the old warhammer fantasy battles path to glory i was mm. like oh, i want to kind of do a war band there nice nice aaron what was your uh um high low on this game being any good you know it comes down to echoing i think what if, what we've I've heard the others have said so far. Um, first things first, uh, is it, folks may know that I, I don't get to play as many games as I would like, regardless of the size or scope. But I think one component of that, or one reason of that, is, is just the time investment, both in preparation and then also getting out and, and playing the game. And so when I heard that there was a skirmish game coming, um, 
kind of along the same lines as Underworlds, uh, it did pique my interest because that maybe breaks down one barrier to me getting out there and actually rolling dice. So that um, is always helpful. And um, so I, because of that aspect, I was definitely looking forward to it. Um, I don't have a lot of experience playing many other skirmish games. We did spend a fair bit of time playing AOS skirmish a couple, God, has it been years ago at this point? But even in that like setting, it, it took a lot of work. I'm going to say mostly on your part, Eric, to like get that to like work and be enjoyable and, and sort of um, carry that narrative load. And so I was also excited um, given what I knew about other GW skirmish games that hopefully this game would also be able to, um, you know, really bring the narrative uh, in a way that, you know, would be enticing and, and bring me to it. And I, jumping ahead i think it's probably delivered on that quite a bit so far and then uh, when it comes to the chaos realms i'm not typically a chaos player but one thing i do like about it is that it does give us an opportunity to spend some time in a setting that at least in the background or in the in the you know the lore we don't spend all too much time on now granted we've talked about a couple novels and there's a few other stories coming up that we're going to talk about that Mm -hmm. do flesh out um the eight points um but the fact that we can spend so much time in this place and learn so much about it and like uh, what we've learned already has already been so very fascinating to me. Um, I can overlook the fact that I don't necessarily really want to play Chaos, uh, but I'm still very excited to learn more about them, even though I don't won't be pushing those Chaos dudes across the table. Yeah, I shouldn't say that. Maybe I will. Who, who's to say? <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. How about you, well, Eric? Yeah, I mean, it's it's been a journey uh, to this point, I think. Um before AOS Skirmish came out as a as a booklet, um, we've talked about this before. Uh, shout out to Bottle Deviant Tactics, uh, Sam Pearson, who now works for Games Workshop. But before he did, he put out a skirmish version of AOS, and it was just what if you treated a unit like a model and did a few things to tweak it. Um, and it was it was fun to play. It was easy to get into, and you know part of the appeal. But it didn't have a lot of bones to it in terms of campaigns, etc. And there's there's been a number of things like Shadespire seems like it was an interesting setting to be a new you know um, in the AOS version of Mordheim this place of riches that's just in ruin um, and to find treasure find a shade glass etc like prime like symmetry for that um, or you know a number of other places like um, uh, oh man it was Hellstone which is that giant like city in a hole uh, from one of the the Age of Sigmar audiobooks. Um, so there's just a lot of ripe places to have that sort of setting. And they were kind of seemed like they were teeing some different things up when skirmish came out in, uh, the white dwarf as a two page part. And you're like, Oh, this is just an update for 2.0. There's not a lot more here. What are they going to do with that? Are they going to do anything with that? Are we, are we done with skirmish? And then they announced war cry and I was like, yes. And then it was all chaos. I don't own any chaos really it was never something that appealed to me that like devotion to the chaos gods these war bands have not devoted themselves to a chaos god yet but there's still like this sense of resistance or that that potential that they shake off the yokes and they side with with archaeon which is i do kind of like this the the dark oath the undivided side of chaos where they're not going to be beholden to one chaos god or any of the chaos gods and they kind of i guess you know flip the big one to to any of them mm-hmm. so that kind of appeals to me in that you can play one of these chaos warbands as like going definitely towards chaos or potentially just fighting against them but being kind of drawn into that whole world um they're probably still not good people uh so uh <laughs> 
but then the stories. So it was definitely uh, a lot of trepidation going in. But as soon as we got some hints and whiffs of what it was going to be like, what it's going to feel like on the table, I feel like I it was a quick turn for me to get heavy into it. And that's been part of the fun too, kind of breaking that wave with the community, you know, uh, hitting a stride with it and, and getting excited. So let me ask you guys a question in terms of um, how this game, uh, I guess it's a skirmish game. It's very narrative focused. Where have you guys felt the narrative or, or if I say it's narrative focused, what do you feel like I mean by that? Um, you know, Aaron, do you feel like that's an accurate term? What do you think attributes this being a narrative focused game? Well, I don't know if you know, but I am a narrative podcast sometimes. So, uh, I feel like I'm well equipped to answer this question. Um, no, uh, I, I do think it's narrative focused. I think first thing is that, uh, when you drop the scale to like a to a smaller level, um, it inherently makes it that much easier to be a, a narrative focus game. You're not dealing with you know a, a horde of nameless, faceless dudes, but rather it's you, every individual model in your warband ends up counting for a lot more, and every individual model ends up having their having their own stories reveal themselves as you play more and more games. So I think just by that sheer nature, it's hard to not make it narrative for, you know, to see those dramatic moments that any given, uh, you know, little, little guy that you have, um, on the table sort of, uh, makes that big impact or makes that big effect. So I already, um, am drawn to that because I, I want my, um, you know, my orcs or my goblins or whatever, I want them to do heroic things or, you know, less than heroic things. Um, furthermore, I think a lot of the extra, um, what would you say the crunch around the games themselves, which is to say the the campaign component, um, just the flat out like the the naming tables and the background tables, um, all that stuff. Uh, even if you don't use it, like contributes to like narrative um, construction, and that it gets you thinking about it. Even if you're not rolling that d whatever it is, I don't know, is it a d six or d ten or something on those on those background tables? It's still even you don't use them, you still think, well, what what would the background for my guy actually be? Um, so I think it 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 draws your mind to those sorts of uh, sorts of decisions. Um, furthermore, I think this, this these tables with all these terrain that you're going to be using. Um, ends up being an additional character to the games that you're playing as opposed to sort of a random sporadic scattering of uh, bits and pieces that may or may not like jive together on a much larger AOS table when you're on that smaller scale and each of these terrain pieces interact with each other um, and, you know, contribute to each other. um, It, it lends itself to, you know, creating those narrative stories as well. So that's just a handful of thoughts. Uh, Yeah. I, I felt like, especially that small board size, immediately felt like I could create a scene or a setting better than I could in Age of Sigmar or other games. Um, and that made me really want to kind of even start telling stories about where we were playing, right? Yeah. Um, I feel like that's more attainable on the table than just, you know, in a paragraph or, you know, text or something like exactly. that. Exactly. One of my favorite things about wargaming is is the opportunity for these, you know, bits of plastic that I have to take me to a place. Like I, I want to be I want to be transported, guys, um, which is also, you know, why I read the books and, you know, focus on the, the lore. Um, but a table can be just as effective as that uh, at that. And I think these Warcry tables do a good job at it. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to move to this idea of the battlefield Josh, obviously, you're starting to think about tables and stuff. What what kinds of stuff are you uh, kind of imagining will work for Warcry? Uh, well, I think, you know, the nice thing is, you know, the, with the book, we gain some more information on what the 
eight points actually looks like. And and I think I'd mentioned to you once before that it just seemed it was a lot bigger than I had originally thought. I thought it was just a small piece of land with with a you know with one big fortress guarding all the realm gates realm gates. But now I realize it's much bigger, and so it gives us a lot more variety in terms of terrain and options. And it's been mutated by chaos. So you really you have a really open focus. You can kind of create anything you want. So that that's kind of changed the way I looked at it. You know, I had some ideas at first, and then I read through the book, and I'm like, oh, okay, now I've got I've got possibilities to create something really interesting. So that's kind of why I went back to the the brainstorming phase to kind of figure out, okay, well, what can I do that's different than what other people have got, and adds kind of this chaos flavor to the board. So I've been kind of looking at that. And yeah, there's there's definitely that opportunity to really dive into the 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 first setting we get. Um, well, well, we'll talk about kind of the setting, but it really into that chaos side of, of corrupted side of your terrain. Uh, Paven, are you a terrain builder? No, but I want to be. I want to be one of the cool terrain guys. Um, yeah, it's something that I think I'd, I really want to. It's faster, and I think I you would get it would be very rewarding to uh, like create this world. I mean, one of the things I like really about my hobby is like participating and building like the world I want to. Maybe not inhabit, but like experience and i think mm-hmm. terrain is a great way of doing that um and i think Warcry is a great way to tell a story with terrain like because you can get it so dense and it, it's not as big of a you don't have to have like big lanes for armies to march through you can have it be like real dense and have multiple levels and really kind of really give a sense of place for your game and that's like very exciting to me um and i'm really looking forward to your uh shanty town i forgot what it's called yeah, but, uh, that's perfect. I really like the three dimensionality of it, and I really want to play some games on it. Yeah, no, that's cool. And I, I, I mean, there's so many things. Like even on the kind of first board I created, uh, which I just had the the Azerite ruin stuff. You know, I'd already started kind of collecting it because I started thinking it was cool, and Warcry kind of accelerated that. But I mean, I've even wanted to like. So in my head, it's in this particular build. You know, this is a civil civilization that was destroyed, and then people have been like squatting here, or they've like retreated here and lost battles, or they retreated here and won battles. And so there's like remnants of maybe campsites or like rations that have been left over, or you know maybe even like some um, remnants of the commerce that happened here. Now that was you know ages ago, maybe. Um, but I want to create the lived in aspect of these boards that I'm playing in. Um, and, and it feels like I've got the room to do it. Um, and, and, or how I put it, I'm so zoomed in that I can pay attention to those details. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. I could do that on an age of Sigmar board, but it would be hard to care about because you got armies marching over it and stomping through it. So, um, it just feels like I'm zoomed in and I care a little bit more about each each square inch of this uh, of this terrain. So, yeah, and like the urban areas of Age of Sigma are so cool, and like especially from the art. But we rarely get to like fight a battle in Hammerhall, right? Because it's you yeah. know you're not going to fit. But like this is a great opportunity to like be in an urban place where people live and like interact and like you know there's lava waterfalls or whatever. Yeah. And, well. It's funny too. Before Warcry came out, um, so great. The General's Handbook uh, 2019 came out, and it had a piece called "Cities of Death," um, and it's like about ransacking a city and, and retreating into and, and um, kind of holding like a city place. 
And like you can start buildings on fire, you can knock over barricades. Um, you have maybe civilians who live there throwing bricks out their windows. There's a lot of environmental interactions that I think could be an interesting layer on Warcry. But I'm getting ahead of myself because that might be down the road in our expectations for this. Um, one of the aspects of, about Warcry that might be a little bit different too. Then we're, uh, I, don't, I guess I'm not going to be presumptuous. Is it different? Is it not from what we're used to? Is warband construction. I will kick this one off to Pavent. As we've gotten these kind of contained warbands, you know, uh, one, each of these boxes has a set number of models of each kind of ver- fighter type. Um, have you guys, uh, with Warcry, spent much time list building or kind of constructing your warbands or has it been more kind of just taking what you have and and making do with it? Um, I've spent a little bit of time like with the cards and filling out lists. Um, I more like want to use the models that I think are cool and then see if they all fit in a warband together. Um, I really like that it's simple and you can whip it up quick. And if I haven't been thinking about it, I can still like bring my stuff to a store and you know play a game in five minutes. How about uh, how about you, Josh? Have you? I know you were on uh, vacation for a bit over release. Uh, so instead of being able to build and crunch through the rules, were you doing any list building or thinking about your warbands? Uh, definitely, yeah. I, was, uh, I still still took some time to you know check out the web and see what people were doing, paint schemes and terrain, and what kind of lists they were putting together. And um, and then I got a list together last week and tried it out and was really happy with uh, you know kind of the main. Uh, out of the box content with so some of the longer range weapons for the the cipher lords, and I did pick up a second box because I think you know some of that longer range is going to be nice, and I've got points to play with, so I'm going to work on maybe trying to get a conversion or two to add a few more of those models to the warband. But yeah, no, it's, I think it's a it's a little different than some other games where you have you have some choices in equipment between a few models. But you don't you're not overwhelmed with a plethora of details, so that I think that aspect is nice. How about you, Aaron? Uh, you're, I know that that uh, um, Ard Boys aren't aren't your cup of tea. Um, did you wrestle with just putting a ton of brutes on the table versus adding in those Ard Boys? What what kind of list building you've been through? Um, yeah, no, I, I I did toy around with the idea of um, just focusing on the brutes, but you don't get too many models in the warband if you're going to go go that uh, direction. So I I I guess was. Uh, fortunate that I still had my Underworlds uh, orcs um, available so that I could sort of mix and max. So I was, I was happy to happy to have those. Um, j- just as a as a thought in terms of the warband construction as a whole, do you remember when AOS was like a four page rule book and like you had your war scrolls that you'd get online and like that was the gist of like all you needed to know? Mm-hmm. Like in this day and age, I mean, how many books do you need to like tote around to like basically have a complete listing of your rules? Um, and I don't bring that up as a negative because honestly, I love. I love, love, love all those books. If you look at my shelf, I have every single one. Um, but it, it's gotten awfully complicated to like put, you know, an AOS army together. Um, and I love now that we're in a pretty sweet spot, I think, with uh, Warcry, and that it sort of harkens back to those early simplistic days of AOS, where it's so much easier to put a warband together. It's not utterly straightforward. It's not, you know, one-dimensional. You still have some options, but um, it, I think, it 
goes together much quicker. And because of that, I'm more inclined to put a list together because I don't need to be pulling from a wide range of stuff. And that's not to say we won't eventually. And in fact, heck, if it happens down the line, I don't know that I'd be too upset if, if you know, the expansions came hot and heavy. Uh, but right now, it's a good way, you know, it's a good way to sort of dip your toe in the water and have a pretty simple way to put um, a, a small warp end together. So I like that. Yeah. And, uh, just uh, just to add to what Aaron said, I think one of the aspects that's nice is that you have this, you know, twenty individual list to pull from with fifteen on the table. So you have that flexibility, and there's no penalty for removing a model, adding a model. And I think that kind of gets back to what Aaron was saying: is the flexibility and the ease of making a list, even if it didn't work the first time, it's easy to fix. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, one of the interesting things about um, the league or doing campaigns is that you can fill your roster with whatever models you want. And like you said, you can swap them in and out. Uh, but you can bring each game, you can decide which group of them that you put on the table. So I do think there's going to be a strong list-building element where you're like, okay, what what do I want to put on the table to um, kind of go up against uh, you know, Josh's um, uh, Cypher Lords? Like, what do I want to kind of you know move around in what I'm doing and put on the table? And there's a fun... Um, narrative balance in that I'm like, well, but this guy got a cool artifact, so he has to go on the table, right? right. Um, um, and, you know, so that's, I think there's a cool aspect of just like some freedom to put stuff on the table that's cool. I'll admit, I've watched um, a lot of YouTube videos on Warcry and one of the, you know, kind of directions some people have already started going is uh, doing spreadsheets and mathing out like what your best, most powerful builds, you know, or not builds, <laughs> but like which units are the most bang for their buck, right? Mm-hmm. And to some point, as soon as that happens, I'm like, oh, you've ruined this this model for me or whatever. It was um, beautiful. <laughs> well, there's some aspect where I'm like, okay, I know that, okay, I glean from this that more rock tusk prowlers is probably okay. Um, uh, but um, I will put a first fang in regardless of what you say um, kind of stuff. Um, and there's a lot of that out there, but I, I think that Warcry... On, you can math it out to like, okay, which thing's going to have the most damage output. But if I can maneuver things so that you can't even get into combat, like where you want it, right? If I can block you up with planes runners, or if I can um, kind of get at you or pull you out of out of your um, where you want to be with my first fang, um, then your damage output has less of an effect or is is less efficient over three rounds or four rounds. Um, so there's, I think there's a, if you, you can use your, learn to use the tools that you have in different ways and apply them in different places. And it's, there's going to be a, a learning curve for that. But I think that's part of the excitement, uh, in this case is that I think everything is possible at the moment of what's going to be good in what kind of circumstances mm-hmm. and with a smaller set of models, uh, I think the rules can be more careful about everything having its place, right? Yeah, well, that and I think the you know having the four different cards for a setup, your dagger and your shield and your hammer, and the mission objectives. I think all of that really forces you to be somewhat balanced overall because you never know what you're going to get. Well, let's talk about that really quick because that's something uh, very new and interesting. And well, we've seen an evolution with um, open play cards, and uh, in I think there's open play cards in 40k and there's open play cards in Age of Sigmar, and they were kind of like this side thing or optional thing that you could do but they've really kind of flourished it in Warcry with four decks 
of like what 32 cards each or 36 cards each mm-hmm. um and what have, have you guys you know what have you thought about that as a mechanic to help you just get game started First of all, hearkening uh, back to my magic days, man, do I love collecting cards. Uh, no, uh, I think it does. I think it does uh, help, and it, it jumps you in right away. Um, furthermore, I, maybe I'm like wrong. Maybe this. Maybe they've tricked me. But like when it comes to like setting up the game, it just makes me feel like it's like a more legitimate, like official game that we're playing when we're we're basing it off of like pre-selected stuff from from these cards. I guess you get the same effect when you're dealing with battle plans and AOS, but like it it's both the randomness, but also knowing that like this is a, a, a set standard type of rules really like ticks a box a box for me. Um, it, it doesn't feel so like off the cuff, but at the same time you're still jumping into the game so much so much quicker than you would maybe a normal like larger scale game. Um, so I, I'm a huge fan of the, the cards and I uh, hope to one day when I'm old and gray just say that I've played all the different variations, all the different uh, combinations. All so I should, of pro- them? I should probably get started like soon. What are you guys <laughs> doing after this? <laughs> I like your goals. I like your moxie. Uh, the cut of your jib, something like that. Sure, you gotta shoot for the moon. Uh, one of the things I wanted to address in that question too is I think one of the um, more kind of difficult conversations that some people have had is putting together their terrain from the the starter set, and that not like if you just put it together uh, any old way or exactly as the directions show, and there are some um, icons in the directions that show things as optional or show things as like, you know, you can choose to do this or not. But if you put it away exactly as it is in the in the booklet, you're not going to be able to get every combination exactly as it shows on the card. Um, and, and if you're looking for that, uh, there's some good resources out there. Um, and I'm looking at, you know, I'm, I'm just now getting to building out all my terrain with a lot of that into consideration and trying to figure out with league, what do I want to kind of break it out? So it's easy to use in a lot of places or multiple tables. Um, but I would say of the cards, the one that I, I least care is accurate is the terrain layout because I'm more interested in just putting together cool terrain sets and putting stuff on the table and saying, Hey, this is where we're playing right now. And I feel like has, I need the least direction for, and I want to give as much freedom to listeners to just put cools, put stuff on the table in a cool arrangement that you think is cool. Do it before you know what's going to flip on the card. So it doesn't feel like you're taking advantage, but just set up a cool scene. And if you've got, you know, if you know, you've got somebody who doesn't climb well and you're playing cypher Lords and they can jump over stuff, then maybe you do some back and forth and like setting up stuff. Um, you know, you pick a piece, they pick a piece, et cetera. But, I just feel like I want to take some pressure off having the terrain perfect for uh, Warcry because I don't think it's going to be that necessary in the long term. That being said, uh, Paven, what's your favorite of the decks? Which which has been the most helpful for kind of getting you into the game or getting a game started? I love all the decks. Um well, that's they, a non-committal answer. Yeah, but <laughs> true. They can't. They can't hear you. You don't have to worry about offending them. <laughs> no, really. Who do you love most? Um, no, I love the decks. I like the. I like the terrain. I like that it just does it all for you, and you don't have to think about it. I know there. I have some anxiety with terrain whenever I set up an AOS game. Like, am I doing it right? 
Like, you know, am I doing it favorable to my opponent? Am I doing it favorable to myself? Like, there's this whole thing that, like, you know, this stress I feel. And it's nice to have that, like, oh, I'm just doing what the card is telling me to do. Yeah. Um, so I agree with everything you say, Eric. And I think even the rules say set up the terrain however you want or draw the card. Yeah. Um, well, that's a good point. I mean, to create a game that has easy entry and makes people feel welcomed into it, that can be a really great crutch. I mean, helpful aid. Yeah, hold uh, on. I'm sitting right here. I can hear everything you're saying. <laughs> Josh, did you have a favorite card, or are you going to cop out of my question? <laughs> I'm going to agree with Pavin on that oh, one. Uh, I, I do enjoy all of them. Um, I like the fact that yeah, eventually, you know, we can put the terrain however we want. But I think the you know the setup card. It's nice that you roll off first, and then you set that up. Bef- you know before you assign your dagger, shield, and hammer. Because it's like, okay, we're gonna see the board, but you have no idea what your mission or, or placement or anything is gonna be yet. And I think what it does, it just makes it faster. Because you're like, okay, this is it. Bam, bam, bam. It's down, and it kind of alleviates some of that time of setting things up. But you know, as you mentioned, Eric, I do look forward to having that narrative. Okay, now we're in this particular part of the eight points. We've got desert and these ancient ruins. This is what we're going to play on. And it kind of drives the story a little bit more than just this random terrain setup. But that's why I I think the other pieces will still be really nice to have. Yeah, I always – I like the idea of narratively is if – especially during the convergences – if mm-hmm. you are the one doing the convergence and you're the aspirant and I'm the – what's the other one that's kind of your – the one trying to stop you, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you're coming into my neighborhood. I get to set up the terrain how I want uh, and you have to deal with it. I know that the convergences have a special thing and so maybe it's not the convergences. But I have the – I have an affinity for that idea of on purpose creating a battlefield that favors – a defender or a home field advantage or something like that from a narrative perspective. Um, I think that there could be some cool space for that, but there's also cards. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. Like there's, it just, but without the cards, like I feel like all the cards are a fantastic thing to add. My favorite one is probably the deployment. Um, because and and partly because I really enjoy that that battle group mechanic of like mm-hmm. setting them into your different like um, task forces and that they each have different jobs and that sort of thing. I, I like that card for just the what it does for timing of the game, pace, you know, the pacing of where you can be on the battlefield and what you have to like space is what you have to overcome more than anything often, mm-hmm. uh, and so. Um, I think that that is probably going to be the bigger decider of a lot of games of what, what you put in which battle group and where it got to deploy and when, um, mm-hmm. than anything else. So, um, those are, that's, that's pretty fun. Um, is there anything else about the game and how it plays or what style of game it is or how it compares to other games that you guys want to highlight before we get into the narrative? I, I, well, there's one thing I wanted to call out about the narrative focus of the game is something I really appreciate GW is how much they really leaned in supporting that type of play. Like when you look at the rule book, how much of that, how much of that rule book is just like for the narrative campaign section. Um, and I really, you know, I don't know if I'm jumping the gun here, but I really love that, you know, all the warbands can go on quests and that's not something I've seen out of their other products. And it feels like I am doing something and I'm participating in a story that I'm telling like with my games 
uh, but in a way that's very accessible and they're already and I can like color in the lines here, um, but still getting that like return on investment. And I'm like super pumped about, you know, my low stakes goblin story and like they will die without those bottles <laughs> yeah, hopefully they'll it... come out with more of those as well yeah, so. are, I haven't read the gloom spite one are they on a recycling hunt yeah it's like trying uh, to fill their bag for quarters <laughs> it's like it's like alright guys like petty theft that's what we're about and <laughs> we're at the most dangerous place on the planet and like the return on investment is some glassware yeah, yeah, yeah. I think all the non-chaos ones have one campaign, and all the chaos ones have two options, so you can at least yeah. choose between the two. So hopefully, yeah, they'll add to those as we, you know, as the game grows. The problem, Paven, is you just don't have enough mushrooms on the brain yet. Once you start <laughs> thinking like a git, oh, uh, you will be in the oh. right place. <laughs> no, I'm on board. Oh, okay, I'm okay. Cash and grab, like you know. <laughs> We're gonna better. see you in the new. We're gonna see you in the, like the newspaper petty grimes section uh, in the coming weeks. <laughs> it's gotten too much into it. What's a newspaper? Um, yeah, good question. Good question. <laughs> I kid. Um, <laughs> all right. Take me to the of town. Why don't we? Um, let's do a brief overview of the setting. Um, and and again, a little bit of our initial reactions to the setting. We we touched on it briefly, but this is a chaos focused story. And um, one of the big players, obviously, we're um, of chaos. Besides the chaos gods themselves, and who fits squarely into the middle of this story, is the big bad uh, Grand Marshal of the Apocalypse, Archaon, who is one of the major characters uh, carried over from the old world, um, and who has been individually chosen by each of the the chaos gods to be a champion, uh, but he denied them. And each of them said, well, if, if I can't have him, then I don't want anybody else to. And so they've each given him a bit of their power and therefore he is, uh, he has all the benefits and none of the, the, the requirements of most uh, devotees of chaos. Um, and he is a big, like he is, a bigger threat in the age of Sigmar setting than any one of the chaos gods is or their thrall. Right. Um, how excited were you guys? Well, let me ask you what you, how, how do you feel about Archeon? Uh, you, if, even if you don't like chaos, what do you think about that guy? A, I will start with Josh. <laughs> um, um, I'll actually uh, diverge a little bit. I, th- I think, the the appealing thing about having Archeon and it being in the eight points is the scope is much broader. You're you're dealing with, like you said, a, a non-committed chaos force, so there's a lot of flexibility in what you can have. But I think narratively, the biggest draw for me is um, that you know there, there was some discussion in Age of Sigmar about okay, so what did all the people do when Sigmar withdrew? You know, how do they survive? What do they get out? You know, how do they survive chaos or how do they fall or succumb to chaos and i think these war bands kind of touch on that they talk on they talk about worshiping these aspects or these elemental forces and you know that happen to be tied into chaos and, and some of them may know that and some of them don't and i think that narratively is a lot more interesting to me uh, in terms of what's driving these war bands and it, and this is why they're going to archeon because they see him as an aspect of that elemental force that they're worshiping or chasing and not necessarily trying to you know worship one of the chaos gods in particular so i think that's a nice tie-in to having him non-committed i think it drives that story for the warbands and 
why this diverse range of, of war bands are traveling and, and how they got that way. So they're, yeah, they're answering. So in the Paven, you mentioned Path to Glory um, as, uh, you know, kind of old supplement and they revitalized it again in um, uh, Age of Sigmar. And there was even a book called Path to Glory, which is about, um, or a story about called Path to Glory about some chaos uh, warlords trying to aspire to um, become Varengard or part of Archaon's kind of big horde of the best of the best. Um, that was Call of Archaon, I think. Call, Call of Archaon, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, in terms of Archaon, do you feel the Call of Archaon? Uh, you know, does that appeal to you as a, as that kind of non-committal chaos? So, Eric, uh, that's a that's a very personal question, but I think <laughs> you, know, you look upon your enemies and you just want to see them destroyed. And no, but Archeon's a very cool character. He's a great, like bad guy. I mean, he already destroyed the world once. And so he has feel a real threat behind him. And he's also like, I think somewhat sympathetic in ways that other chaos characters aren't because, you know, I'm not an uh, Archeon expert, but I think he hates the chaos gods. Like he is like his end game. Isn't necessary to destroy another world of which he's destroyed many, but to, actually throw down all of the chaos gods and remove all gods. And I think that is like an interesting, um, that's somewhat sympathetic, I think. And I think it is very cool. And he's got a sweet army and a dope horse. Uh, (laughs) Dragon horse. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, I, I would agree. Um, And Archeon is um, the part of his rampage through the mortal realms when, uh, kind of chaos got wind of it, and they sent Archeon to kind of start tackling it. And in fact, drew drove um, Sigmar back to Azir to close the gates. Um, one of the his the first things he did was he conquered what was then called the All Points, which was this this uh, nexus of of realm gates, these huge realm gates that connected each of the realms. So it has eight gigantic realm gates that connect into this nexus called the All Points. And obviously he is a uh, part of Archaon's aspect is he's this fantastic general. He is just at the top of his game when it comes to power and using power and flexing with his, you know, whether it be using the zinch part of his influence and the, um, what are those guys called? Um, the the gaunt summoners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, or, you know, uh, throwing some, some Nurgle at something to weaken it, et cetera. Um, and so strategically, he took over the All Points, um, which was this huge kind of nexus of commerce and um, uh, metropolitan life and kind of the best that the realms had to offer kind of converged in one place. And he took it, he demolished it, and he put up uh, his kind of, I don't know if he put it up or if all of his devotees put it up, but his place of power called the Varen Spire which is at the center of the now called eight points. Um, Aaron, what do you remember from, um, from either, uh, the, you know, the Archeon ever chosen battle tome or, um, you know, the call of Archeon. What do you remember about the Varen Spire? Uh, everything. Honestly, the most recent, uh, like exposure to Varen Spire is when we reread, um, the Scourge of Fate, uh, by yeah. Robbie McNe- Robbie McNiven. So we, we spend a 
fair amount of time in that book um, in, in Varen Spar and getting used to it. Um, it's cool because it's a series of concentric, I don't know if it's exactly circles, or but it's concentric walls and each like outer wall is defended by like another uh, like rank of his Varengard, which um, those are Varen Spire, Varen Guard, they they are his his shock troops, his knights, his his chosen uh, warriors, um, and so it it's kind of neat that like you know there's I don't even there's a number of them and I can't remember how many, but for each you know wall that you you pass, there's another Varen Guard like regiment that like defends it, so that's uh, super neat. Um, and interspersed throughout these different walls is all sorts of a variety of different like uh, un or yeah undivided. Um, uh, chaos worshippers, and it, it's just a, a medley of a variety of different types of um, chaos folks, uh, not necessarily sworn to one god or another. Though obviously we've we've shown that like he still has devotees that you know lean towards Nurgle or lean towards Corn or or what what have you. Um, so it really is like a hub, a nexus, like you said, a very urban, um, uh, dedicated uh, central point for him to you know amass his forces. Um, we also sort of find out uh, through a variety of different lore uh, segments that he's he's often not there. Like he he he's a warlord. He's a general. He's a he's a uh, a battle waging um, general, uh, and he's he's off fighting on different fronts. And so um, this whole sort of civilization sort of runs without his close eye per se. Like because he's because he's often you know uh, fighting in the in the realms. And so. Um, that's all, also another aspect of, of Arcan that you got to get used to is that he, he's willing to get his hands dirty. Um, and so uh, it's it's a, a real cool setting. And although we're spending, I think, a lot of time in this game out in the wild, sort of in that surrounding area in the um, eight points, uh, I'd love to spend more time in the Varen Spire as well. And we, we talked about, you know, urban fighting and different and different settings. If GW doesn't really say... You know, a terrain kit for the Varen Spire. I hope someone uh, can come up with one so we can we can spend some time <laughs> trying to uh, tear it down. Well, <laughs> so Eric, get on probably then. close. Yeah. So no, and that's that's fantastic. Yeah, I, the I think the one of my favorite kind of jokes from uh, kind of some of the things we learned from uh, Scourge of Fate and whatnot was that Archeon can kind of call a meeting. Uh, with anybody at any time who's under his command. Um, he can project himself or uh, kind of call conference conference line a whole bunch of people in um, and just make his will known. And so, like, uh, dude checks his emails. Uh, dude knows what everything's doing on the Gantt chart, timeline, spreadsheet, whatever. And he is very personal in his attention to those details. Um, like, He'll, he might put somebody on a task, but I, I get the sense that he expects them to fail, and he'll do it himself if he has to. Um, and somehow he gets it all done. Um, and But that brings us... Um, you, you were mentioned kind of out in the wild. Um, you know, uh, Eric, we're... Eric, can yeah, I say one more cool thing about Archeon? You can say one more. Yeah. Maybe two, two if you. If this one's cool, you can say I, one I more. Think, I think I got one. And I think okay. one of the things that I really like about Archeon is like when he shows up, everybody is effed um like it's just like the game's over like you know he like i think vanda's hammer hand like he just like killed him like yep. he's like you know the, the hero of age of sigmar and he like killed nagash once like you don't you maybe don't twice up. i think he beat up sigmar um yeah and i think like he's just very intimidating and he's like kind of the shadow over this whole game and he's too big for Warcry, right he's not even yep. like home but he's just like the 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 thing everybody aspires to and talks about yeah, 
to that point, to, well, to that point, what we're talking about Arkan, um, and he's too big for this game. Like he's almost too big for the AOS setting in that like we don't spend a lot of camera time on him. Like he doesn't necessarily appear all that much because he need like i mean to have a good bad guy he has a certain air of mystery or a certain uh air of you know being separated at, at sort of an arm's length and so one of the beauties of this war cry uh setting and the Varen Spire setting and the the scourge of fate setting is that like we learn about him through his followers like we learn about him like based off the people who, the sort of person who would follow him is how you sort of inform yourself as to who archaon is um so that like he is both you know mythical uh, but at the same time, you still still get a good sense of like, you know, his capabilities and, and, and his scope because of the people that are, you know, following in his in his trail. Yeah, we yeah. don't get to eat him, but we get to go to his house. <laughs> Kick our well, that's, there's a up. promise of getting to go to his house. That's where we're marching. Um, <laughs> right. But to what to what Josh uh, kind of so so deftly kind of steered us into is that Arcan is too big to be here in person, but his voice that call is everywhere and it's appearing in very um, there's that he has the aspects of Zinch where he can appeal to different um, the different kind of needs of who he's talking to. Um, and uh, when we get into the war bands, I think it'd be interesting for us to talk about maybe how each of them sees that call. If, if we, you know, we're going to be very brief and very kind of surface level on them, but but, you know, kind of where that aspect of chaos is kind of calling to them, that might be, you know, Archaeon's, you know, uh, visage on a piece of toast, um, you know, uh, or grilled cheese sandwich, um, uh, like, <laughs> like Jesus, um, grilled Jesus, grilled Jesus. Um, so, uh, I guess last point in terms of the starter set, the starter set puts us in a very specific part of, um, the eight points, um, and that's the blood spoils. Josh, what do you recall or what have you been able to read up on the blood spoils um, just for the purposes of kind of getting our starter box armies together? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, well, one of the aspects I really liked is at the beginning of the book, they kind of show you essentially it's a pie slice. You know, this blood spoils is, is this one small, it's like this blood lake in the middle where it rains blood and gore. Well, do you want to know why it's a, a, pie, a pie slice? Because because yes, Arcan works with pie charts and he wants to know what percentage <laughs> of things are under his control. So project management at its best. Yep, exactly. <laughs> so go on. But uh, but I think what's what's exciting about that is that it shows you an interesting amount of detail with uh with some mysterious ruins or placements, and it also hints that hey, there's seven other pieces of pie here that we haven't yet explored. So um, at least a lot of room for future growth and or your own creation, your own story development. But in terms of the blood spoils, I think it's nice because it has several large cities, lots of ruins, um, and it's got lots of mysterious terrain features, including the, the blood wind or blood spoil lake in the middle. Um, and, and refers to lots of mutated monsters and things that you're going to encounter or deal with. So I think it gives it a lot of, you know, some detail enough to work with, but not too much. So you have lots of room to negotiate any sort of narrative you want. Absolutely. I'm excited to learn more about those details. Um, uh, but this one's brought the, the, the iron golems and the untamed beasts together. Um, and we kind of get to, and again, they're doing it again. They're zooming into to a really small aspect or a, a specific aspect of it. Um, I feel like 
we'll talk about expectations in the future, but I wonder where, which pie chart we're going to next or what piece of the pie we're going to next. So, um, all right. Um, any last things about the setting? Um, anything that's really kind of, uh, like, like I said, I was not really into chaos when I heard it was chaos, but I am all about spending some time in the, the eight points. Another, um, book that we saw a little bit of that in, uh, Aaron was, um, um, Oh, Bear Eater. Um, cow. What book was that? Uh, just Champion of Hamilcar. the Gods. Hamilcar. Hamilcar. Uh, Champion of the Gods. Yeah. So he gets into a, a, a bit where he gets pulled into uh, the eight points briefly, and it's crazy. Um, so, um, and uh, if you want some more narrative on, uh, you know, kind of this background of chaos, specifically Archaeon. Um, I'll, we'll either put some links in the show notes or share some on, uh, the Twitter, um, uh, Twitter account and they are path to glory. They are call of Archeon. There's of course, um, uh, the ever chosen battle tome, uh, that has some kind of background in there about, uh, the Vanguard, et cetera. And I'm sure there's more. So we'll be sharing those probably as we're going through this, these episodes, uh, some more reading if you're interested in that sort of thing. So, um, Cool. All right. Let's jump into these war brands because I think each of us, um, as we said at the top of the show, have identified with one in particular, but probably more than one. Um, and so we're going to do a little ro- round robin uh, pick, kind of talk a little bit about each of these as we're interested, uh, try and get to all of them. Um, we've got eight chaos war bands, um, f- six of them that we have uh, access to. We can buy them. Uh, already they're on the shelves and then a couple extras that have been already talked about in the core book um, that will inevitably be coming out and then um, we've got nine non-chaos factions so I will gonna go ahead and start with Aaron what's uh, you'd mentioned Iron Jaws do you want to talk about them a bit their character and how they fit into the how they get into the eight points or or how they fit into this this game yeah sure um, I'll pause right there and I'll say, do you just do you want to do the chaos ones first and then the non-chaos ones, or we're we going to mix them all up together? You know, that's that's a good question. Since why don't we start with the chaos ones and then go to non-chaos? Okay. Uh, so let me rephrase that. So Aaron, starting, let's start with the chaos war bands. Uh, it's a pretty smart idea, right? Um, which which one You're of those? You're a genius. <laughs> which one of those do you want to get started with and we'll round robin through the chaos ones uh but but go ahead what which ones appeal to you all right here's the deal i think we should probably just rip the band-aid off uh and deal with probably the grossest one out of all of them like let's just get over this hump and then we can enjoy uh the company of the rest of these war bands um because it'll be the undoing of us yeah it's hard <laughs> not to lead with the unmade so the unmade is a war band from shyish the, the realm of death and uh man where do you even start i know where to start it's the fact that these guys these folks ritually flay their faces off um and i'm not being metaphorical like no, they, they do. Their faces come off their faces. Uh, and then they proceed to attach them to their belt buckles uh, in a weird sense of like, I don't know, like to intimidate their followers. Maybe they just like it. Actually, I know they just like it. Um, and it's this weird ritual like self-mutilation. Um, so they start with their faces, but as they grow in power, they'll chop their limbs off and replace it with swords. They'll cut their feet off and replace it with 
more swords. Um, there's chains. They're all full of like ragged clothing, uh, and it's pretty messed up. So uh, they hail, like I said, from Shayish. I think there many of their settlements um, are around like the Shayish Nadir, which is that that low point of Shayish. Um, and yeah, they're all about inflicting pain both on themselves and others. Maybe not in that order. Well, actually, maybe in that order. It's tough to say. Depends on the day. Um, and so uh, they're all about sort of torturing their victims. They lock them up in, you know, gibbets and cages and things. And uh, it, their goal, um, I'm trying to think, remember why they're getting called to Arkan. I think it's just another opportunity for them to inflict as much pain on, you know, the, the residents of the moral realms as possible. Like if if you're on Arkan's side, I think you, you've got plenty of opportunity to start uh, doling out that torture to to the you know the other races um so uh they're pretty pretty gross pretty messed up and i think it's a a fun uh example of the direction that they can take chaos when you're not sort of tethered to um the the main chaos guys like there's a certain element of uh slanesh like sort of this um overwhelming like uh feeling and fun uh what's the word um sense uh, yeah yeah all, all of the above basically um but as you'll find with these war bands like maybe they'll lean one way or the other towards a given chaos god but they don't they don't necessarily align specifically so these unmade uh if you if you said hey well you must be a big fan of chaos, uh, slanesh they would probably raise their eyebrows at you and have no idea who you're talking about would um, you say that because they they progress from like limbs to like or to, to body small body parts to large body parts that they go through phases before the phases uh yeah i would say that in okay. fact uh, okay you got it you, you got it in one perfect i'm glad you said <laughs> <laughs> all right uh pavend uh give me your uh chaos pick so the uh so with my pick in the chaos warband draft i will take the uh splintered fang i think resonate with me the most um, they got a good, strong snake theme going, and uh, I'm into snakes, and so that is a one-to-one right there. Um, the Splintered Fang are cool because I think one of their, besides that I'm like I'm into their aesthetic, is that there's kind of a mystery that's built into the Splintered Fang because they come from a tribe of kind of uh, I don't know uh, nomadic savages that lived in the realm of life in the realm of Gyran and they used to worship this god beast named I pulled it up here let's see if I can get it Nagendra who I imagine is a big snake a big old snake that is actually dead and it was killed by Ignax um, but since then they've been kind of co-opted or they started worshiping this these demonic quote-unquote entities known as the coiling ones or the I believe and like what are those like those don't map to any demons we know of are they like something else like who are the coiling ones how did they trick this group into worshiping them like they seem to be on the path to chaos without quite knowing what they're doing and i think that's really cool and plus yeah snakes are dope so that's my that's my pick for my favorite chaos warband and i want to do that (laughs) later down the line nice nice Josh, what was your number one chaos? Uh, well, I'll definitely have to choose the Cypher Lords, uh, you know, since uh, since they appealed to me right off the bat. And I think part of that appeal is, you know, it's, of course, it's one of the war bands we've seen from a realm that we don't have a lot of knowledge about, which is Haish, you know. And so they, they talk about this being a city-state, you know, that they come from this particular city-state called Noxseed. 
that looks like it's civilized, but has this undercurrent of, you know, trickery and madness and um, and uh, unbalancing, you know, the the natural world as it is, so to speak, through alchemy or other sorts of magical means. And um, but it doesn't it doesn't necessarily tell you whether the whole city state is or it's just uh, you know certain groups within it. So I think that that's kind of interesting in itself. But um, you know, but they worship this. As the book says, a formless entity of infinite aspects and pure protean trickery and madness. So you know, so obviously they have an inclination towards Zinch of some sort, whether they know it or not. But um, in reading some of the stories from the uh, from the book that has come out, uh, really delves into a little bit of uh, kind of see more of how they try to spread this madness and what the rationale is and is it a power struggle is it just the joy of it and there's a mix of everything in the in the kind of the story so it was really interesting to add those layers to the particular warband but uh but it's definitely i think the uh kind of this monastery mad madness you know but but disciplined and enlightened sort of combination which really appealed to me absolutely and obviously, as I mentioned, I am struck by the untamed beasts. Um, also, a very nomadic, a very savage. Um, they clothe or, or adorn themselves with um, hides and furs and use bone weapons. And the weapons are often look like jaw bones, but of like the weirdest chaos beasts ever basically being able to bite on like both sides of their jaw because of where the teeth are coming out. Um, and so it's, it's just a cool aesthetic. Um, they want to tear down civilization. Um, so if you were to proxy a different army for these, like these would be your beast men um, uh, from age of Sigmar um, in that they just despise that kind of order or the building up of towers. Um, I think these guys want to um, hunt, kill, eat, survive war repeat um and uh you know they they take whatever they can from the land and they use it to kill the other people on the land um so there's uh, that primal aspect which i feel is a i guess is a very simple for way for me to get into chaos where i i get i don't get this personally like let's not <laughs> let's not make that mistake well... uh but but it's an easy archetype to kind of start with and get my head around um, and, you know, just the desire to go forward and, and smash feels very uh, chaos to me. So, um, so that's where I'll go there. Aaron, number two chaos. What was the next one that appealed to you? My second can, it doesn't mean that it's any less impressive, but uh, I think I'd like to talk about the iron golems instead. So these dudes come from the realm of uh, metal, the, the realm of Chaman, um, and their deal is they love metal in all its forms. And by all its forms, I mean uh, two forms specifically, weapons and armor specifically. Uh, they are basically the blacksmiths of um, you know, the Undivided Chaos group. Um, and their goal is to provide, you know, the arm, have a monopoly on the arms and uh, armor uh, for Archaeon's forces. And so they really pride themselves on their craftsmanship, um, the... Uh, you know, sort of the materials that they can make, and they they have come to the all points, eight points, um, to offer their services uh, to Archaon. So, their their catchphrases, "We make war" or something like that. Uh, which I mean, when you're talking about weapons and armor, that that adds up. That makes sense. Um, so they're uh, 
that's that's one cool aspect of them. It's a very unique perspective. Their goals aren't necessarily to go out and you know crush their enemies specifically, like directly, but rather to provide the resources for other forces to uh, to do so. So that's that's pretty unique. They're not necessarily trying to get their hands dirty. Um, additionally, another unique aspect is that they're one of the few, not the only, but one of the few warbands to not exclusively have like human folks uh, in their employ. Uh, their warband does feature an ogre, ogre. And also a little, little chaos dwarf as well. I don't mean to call him Lale, little. That's diminutive. Um, so yeah, I know tisk tisk. Uh, but that's cool because it shows a little bit of variety. But when you think of like you know um, you know armorers and blacksmiths, you, you do think of dwarves. Um, and when you think of slow plotting forces, which these guys end up being because they're from the realm of metal, they're big, they're strong, they're burly, they carry heavy uh, hammers. Um, I think an ogre fits right in in with that as well. So. Um, it's they're they're sort of singular focused in their in their you know uh, obsession with blacksmithing, but there's still a variety in the uh, the folks that you can deploy uh, uh, in your warband. So I think they're very unique in that regard, and they're very very cool. Nice. All right, who is next? Paven, number two. Um, for my second warband, I I want to talk about the Spire Tyrants. Um, this is one we don't know a lot about. Um, they don't their minis haven't been released. Um, they just kind of have like one page in the rule book, but they got some cool, cool background. So they actually start in the Varen Spire, right? They live in the, um, they're like all gladiators, gladiators or gladiator slaves. And they like, you know, kind of fight for glory and fight for survival and fight for, um, you know, Archeon and they, but they've become so like individuals in this war banner have become so successful. They have to like go out into the wastes and like you know achieve their their glory out there to like you know rise up in the ranks and join the bear inspire um i also think seeing some of their art they have that more of the classic chaos aesthetic of the like the big northern like horned helmets and the furs and like i'm hoping well maybe not the furs but I, i'm hoping to see some of that like old like kind of a new take on the old chaos warriors with that war band definitely definitely um, yeah, not a lot known, but they're, yeah, you wonder what they're going to do with uh, how they're going to reveal them. Um, all right, Josh, what's your number two? Uh, for number two, I just decided to choose the Corvus Cabal because uh, they're from, you know, the the polar opposite of Haish. They're from Olgu, the realm of shadow. And um, it's interesting in the story I read, you know, it talks a little bit about them. And um, but they they worship this being which they call the Great Gatherer, uh, which is a greedy god. Apparently they, they want to it's a, a patron of cutthroats and thieves and, and it wants gifts left, which, you know, you associate with crows and ravens and grabbing gaudy things and, and then putting them on in places. So so it kind of fits in with that theme very well. And they believe Archeon is the. An avatar of this particular creature, but um, in, the, in one of the stories I read, it, it talks a little bit about the, the cipher lords and, and the Corvus Cabal um, have similar roles. They're both act as spies and assassins, and so they're both kind of vying for that position in Archeon's service. And so there's some ongoing rivalry, which is kind of fun since they're polar opposite realms as well. So I think it's a kind of a fun tie-in there. Yeah, definitely. Um... I'm going to talk about the signs of flame. And I forgot to mention that the untamed beasts have a pretty strong tradition of of, uh, animal handling and having uh, kind of beasts as part of their um, kind of war band, um, which is unique. Uh, But also the signs of the flame have a unique um, aspect that is related to beasts as well. And that's that they, they go out into the waste and they find magnivores and they 
uh, and ash salamanders and eat their hearts um, as pre-battle rituals, and the unworthy are uh, consumed in flame. And so there's very much a... Uh, these are warrior priests, but not warrior priests for Sigmar. These are warrior priests for chaos. Uh, they seek to uh, just burn and purify the realms um, by fire, and they come from Akshi, of course. Um, and so there's this kind of just that, uh, again, if you were to put them back in the, in the realm of fire and you've got different kinds of, uh, cultures and civilizations that worship flame or deal with flame or just like kind of, uh, live with flame as part of their life. These guys, uh, see it as a, the central thing that, you know, that I imagine they want everything to become Akshi, uh, to, in some way or another. Um, Don't we all. Yeah, and so it's it's a really cool take on kind of it seems like that that war priest, which is typically a order kind of archetype, and puts it in chaos, which is really cool. Um, so yeah, I mean I, there is there's quite a bit of variety here to choose from, and I think that was unexpected as well to see how much they could do with this middle ground of chaos. Um, now. I also wasn't expecting them to put out a lot of non-chaos factions, which I think comes to balance it out, you know, lets people get in faster, etc. cetera. Uh, just real quick, um, uh, I guess, talk about how you feel like the the warband you pick fits into this kind of story of the uh, Blundwood spoils. And for this, I'll start with Josh. Um, who was your first non-chaos faction pick? Um, well, I'll, I'll choose the uh, Legions of Nagash just because uh, my stepson's playing them, and, and uh, he, he has all sorts of death, and so he definitely loves playing those, and I've gotten a little bit more insight on, on how that particular warband operates. But um, it, it has a necromancer, and then you have skeletal forces. You've got your um, you know heavier guard and, and basic skeletons, and it's essentially kind of the – you are servants of Archon the Black, you are searching for ancient lore, necromancy, and then, of course, you're doing Nagash's will out and about within this realm, trying to thwart Archon and his plans. So it's, it's kind of a neat theme where they're, it's more lore-focused, where they're looking for power, they're looking for artifacts to benefit Nagash in the end. And, uh, and they, they play very much like you might expect, with the necromancer is kind of the main supporting role and can bring models back. And uh, then they also have a, quite a quite a number of, of models you can put on the table with a variety of different roles, but they're slow, you know. So you know, as you're plotting death, you know, but the necromancer has adds some uh, different aspects to that. So definitely an interesting force. And do they give a kind of a good explanation of of why uh, the legions of the Gash are here? I mean, death is everywhere, or is there yeah, a, so, a reason? Yeah. So the book itself doesn't really point out a specific reason you know, that like they do for night haunt where they talk about you know all the spirits come out because of you know the the ritual but um the campaign in the in the books you know is essentially about them looking for an ancient necromantic tome and so that's that's one particular reason that you might be searching in this particular reason or this region but nagash you know asserts his will and tries to thwart all of his enemies at different different realms and so i think that's definitely you can kind of drive your narrative and and background based on why is your necromancer there and then kind of go forward with that um just to add a little bit of flavor to that is my stepson he's got this idea of creating chaos-looking death models for Legions of Nagash, where they've just been there so long that the bodies, you know, are ancient chaos warriors, and the necromancer is just kind of 
plodding along, doing doing what he needs to do to survive. And so he's adding his own narrative twist to that aspect. Nice. I'll uh, because you went there. I'm going to jump into to the night haunt. Um, and uh, the night haunt. Uh, there's some feeling that did did they come? Now these are the kind of ghostly um, apparitions. And your um, what's kind of fun about this is that you can play with some of the underworlds uh models which is a great way to get into the game um but initially it was thought they're seeing a lot of ghosts around the eight points and they thought it was kind of the aftermath of the necroquake and if you're not familiar with aos lore um nagash the lord of undeath or death depending on who you talk to um set about this large this big plan that took a thousand years or however many years uh, you know, to try and uh, gain control over all of the the mortal realms, and it he built this giant pyramid, inverted pyramid, and it was going to just suck all of the uh, kind of all of the magic from his realm into one place, and then set off, kind of raise the dead everywhere across the realms at one time. So, in this case, uh, that has happened, but it was a little bit flawed, and so it didn't totally happen as he expected. But a lot of death uh, undead have risen. Uh, in the in the wake of that, and the night haunt kind of came out of that, and these are the ghosts, the spirits of the dead. And at first, it seemed like they were just kind of random, but um, it seems as though they're concentrating around areas of soul power and and soul resources and uh, other things that maybe Nagash is trying to get after. So, um, yeah, a, a really cool couple of of death factions and how they fit here in the blood spoils or in the eight points and all that kind of stuff. Um, Aaron, what's your uh, number one non-chaos? So like I said, I think I'm going to be starting with the Iron Jaws. And so uh, their deal is that there are orcs, and I like to fight stuff. No, um, so they uh, basically are always looking for uh, new new, uh, folks to fight, new new people to, you know, conquer and, you know, pound into a pulp. And so what better place to do that uh, than the... uh, the eight points, the their the Varen Spire, and so um, the any number of uh, Iron Jaw groups forces uh, find their way into uh, you know this realm, or they are always there, even at some point. Um, and the the book makes it a point to call out that like since the forces of chaos are so overwhelming, and the orcs are not there to you know sneak around or you know not make their presence known. Obviously, different. Uh, you know, groups and war bands are constantly butting heads, and um, oftentimes the Iron Jaws groups or forces, um, those those mighty hordes, they get whittled down over time. Um, they you know they don't have unlimited uh, resources and forces, and so the war bands that you play uh, in Warcry are basically the remnants of some great hordes that are left over, the strongest of the strong of those orcs who are still able able to survive in this you know this wasteland and um it's a proof to their prowess that they can still um you know thrive uh, in this setting and so uh the the campaign that you're working on is that you're always constantly looking for a new scrap and so your war band is you know out there out there looking for a fight which honestly pretty uh pretty on brand for those guys they're always looking for the fight no matter where they are so um i'm digging it i'm into them nice paven what's your number one non-chaos my number one non-chaos is the Gloomspite Gits, who I am playing in our campaign. Um, I really like them. Um, like the the narratives and the themes of the of the Varen Spire and the Eight Points is very dark and very sinister. You have like I don't know arms dealers. You have like 
psychopaths and like just very brutal folks and the gloom spite kind of have a little bit more of a comedic feel to them um they're they're just you know grots are there because grots are everywhere and you can't get them out and they're just up to their old tricks over in the eight points um and so their quest is they are trying to steal glassware um you know everybody else is trying to like you know achieve the kind of the you know get bring honor to their clan or like you know achieve the gaze of archon and join his like elite guard and we're just you know trying to you know raid a you know convenience store and that's i think that's fun i think there's room for those stories as well i'm super excited the models are great in the warband um it really you have a huge selection of like all the new stuff and um yeah i'm like super pumped to tell that story and then maybe other stories in the future nice all right, back around, Josh. Do you have a second non-chaos that you're interested in? Yeah, so um, I'll, I'll touch on the Flesh Eater Courts, and uh, I think um, they're they're an interesting faction because obviously they they have these delusions of grandeur where they don't necessarily know that they are these flesh-eating ghouls, and um, you know the particular campaign they have in the book leads right into that where they they think they're these campaigning knights seeking a chalice. You know, it's totally goes to the Holy Grail and you think King Arthur. And so it kind of it's interesting that they have this twist where they're traveling the realms, you know, looking for glory or trying to retrieve some religious artifact or relic for Nagash or, or, or whoever. And they just ended up here in the eight points or this is where it was. And and I think that's kind of a lends itself to some fun storytelling, depending on how you decide to take that. Nice. Nice. All right. I'm going to choose. Um, the Daughters of Cain. And um, part of what's... It's pretty simple with these um, these followers of uh, Marathi. And they're here for vengeance. Um, a particular um, thief and deceiver, uh, Malakendra, has stolen some artifacts and fled to the Eight Points. And she has uh, sent a number of warbands here to slay her and retrieve those. Um, and they're not afraid of Archeon or, you know, the, the, the kind of the brutality of the spoils or of chaos, because I don't know if anybody can out brutal uh, the daughters of Cain, uh, even those unmade, but maybe they, they give them a run for their money. Um, so it's uh, it's very much in line with them. They're a kind of a new faction that uh, people collect, and uh, it's cool that they're going to have some of these new models, the Canari and the um, Medusae, um, kind of the snake ladies and stuff in here. So that's going to be really cool. Um, back to you, Aaron. Uh, it's sticking with my green skin theme. Um, we'll talk. Let's talk about the Bone Splitters. Um, so still very orky. I don't want to diminish that at all. But they're not necessarily as focused on the fight per se. It's more like either they're directed um, at the sort of the direction of their prophet. What is it? The Warag prophet. Um, to to parts unknown and sometimes they find themselves being sent into the uh eight points um their their mission is described in the campaign here is uh it turns out some human forces presumably chaos forces come in and steal one of their treasured totems i think it's the jaw of mork or gork or gork or morka um and they go running off and so the the buds bone splitters goal is to chase them down and get their totem back and so that leads them into the uh the eight points in the blow and spoil. Um, and so, uh, it's less that they're, they're, you know, drawn there sort of of their own accord, but they're sort of lured there or, you know, they have their own mission. So I think that's a little neat and different than 
it's sort of a stark contrast to the Iron Jaws who are who are there looking to fight, whereas uh, the Bone Splitters maybe would prefer to be elsewhere, um, but they they roll up out of necessity. Um, so it, if you've got those two orc fashion factions it's important to maybe draw that distinction so uh they're pretty cool um it'd be interesting to see how they play on the table as well definitely pavend number two number two i want to talk about the aideneth deepkin and i want to kind of go off something eric said where he talked about the daughters of cain being able to like be as brutal as the with the best of them and i think that's a theme that runs through all of the non-chaos factions because the eight points is supposed to be a pretty terrible place and all of the non-chaos uh uh, warbands that are joining are all full of like you know of real tough guys and jerks um so the idneth kind of fall in that camp their order they're on the side of sigmar but they are very morally gray like they will they're raiders they're soul thieves um they can only exist through like the suffering and the pillaging of like life from other races and so they're there i think thematically they really fit in with the eight points like them being there and them using this opportunity to raid and reeve souls to uh, maintain their race um so i think that's that's cool um they also the the models they have available is they have all of the namarti which are the kind of the eyeless foot soldiers and like kind of the lower caste of their society and they have the, the achilleans as well which are the the um the knights that ride the eels and i thought i think that like kind of disparity between the groups and society is very interesting and compelling about the Ideneth and being able to replicate that in the warband is cool so you have like a prince kind of leading a like his um his like lower his like i don't know men at arms or however like the right analog is and so that is like kind of a hobby project i want to take on at some point um but that's it nice uh, lastly of the non-chaos, I'll talk about the Stormcast and specifically uh, the Vanguard um, chamber. And uh, these came out, they're kind of Vanguard hunters. They are um, also kind of fur-draped and more savage. They spend time out way in the front line scouting and away from civilization for long periods of time. Um, their generals and stuff ride Aquilors or Sarpalidors, these really fast, um, you know, griffin style or griffhound large griff horses type of of beasts um and what's and they have griffhounds and um aether wing eagles etc and so what's what i really like about these guys is that the kind of explanation is they're kind of this um seal team six kind of elite special forces and they've specifically come into the eight points Maybe it's to hunt down, you know, a chaos lord that's escaped into this place from the realms. Uh, but more specifically, in their um, kind of um, their quest, is that they have. We've got the the storm vaults have come open. Uh, the necroquake also broke kind of these devices that helped hide some of the greatest treasures and vaults that Sigmar hid around the realms, including in the all points when it was. Uh, controlled by you know uh, good and order etc and uh, so they've in this quest they've come in to try and locate this vault secure the most valuable items that are in it and get out of the 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 eight points before chaos can find these things so just kind of a really cool times of the essence very pertinent to the the storyline that's uh, kind of driving all of age of sigmar at the moment and uh, I'm excited to use these um, these models. They're some of my favorite of the Stormcast models, and 
Uh, I've got I've got a bunch just waiting to become something, and this is perfect for that. So, um, I've done them up with uh, some head swaps that make them a little more brutal, like uh, you know, more like uh, space wolves or Hamilcar bear eaters. Uh, you know, purple armored guys. So I'm excited to to tell some stories with them. Um, and then we've got a, a couple of just kind of other things. We've got Furies, we've got Raptorixes. It talks about thralls for the other warband. So I'm, ex- you know, there's some cool stuff coming out for them, but there's just lots of beasts of chaos that roam these places that are mutated and crazy. So um, those are, I'm looking forward to getting to know more about those, but I haven't had much chance with those. So now that we've all had a chance to play a little bit, to dig our, our, our teeth into the book, the rules, um, the models, the, the terrain maybe, and all this kinds of stuff, um, and some of maybe some of our, our fears or unknowns kind of have, have subsided and we've kind of fallen into what Warcry is and are, uh, seem to be unanimously enjoying what it is for what it is. Let me ask you each, what you're looking forward to possibly seeing out of out of the Warcry product line or kind of releases in the future that or or out of the community, I guess I'll say, to help get into this the you know in in different ways. Josh, you you already talked about um, there's some community driven terrain uh, or those little dice organizers, etc. Um, what are some things that you're looking forward to? In, um, uh, in out of Warcry, do you have any high hopes for it? Oh, of course, yeah. So, um, uh, one of the things that I kind of mentioned earlier is I, I, I really like how they've kind of started the setting here in the eight points to explore it a little bit more. But, um, I think ultimately it would be really nice as they add more and more factions to be able to use the same rule set to tell stories throughout the realms, you know, in the small cities, in the you know, the foreign wilderness. And then that's so that's my ultimate hope is that we'll have enough factions and enough rule sets to be able to use these rules anywhere to tell whatever story we want, whether it leads into an AOS game or whether it's just smaller, smaller campaigns and, and, and uh, with particular factions carried all through. So ultimately I'm hoping we get there. In the meantime, I'm really looking forward to how they release the terrain sets and um, what additional narrative campaigns or, or elements that they add to that for each of the existing factions, as well as, you know, you know, do they have ideas for additional chaos factions in the future? So kind of, but, you know, I'm, I'm really excited about what, what terrain opportunities there might be and how they expand this to include all the other factions within AOS, I think are probably the biggest things I'm thinking about. No, that's, that's really cool. Do you think there's room to go wider and, and be able to encompass more, uh, more collections out there to get people kind of activated into the game uh, exactly. for sure. And that, and there's some, and, and like you said, yeah, uh, we can play in the eight points, but we could also play in the realm of beasts, or we could play in one of the cities of Sigmar. Um, uh, there's there's nothing narratively in the in the rules themselves that discourage that or change that. Whether you would use these chaos warbands or not, uh, you probably still could, right? They exist outside of the eight points. Mm-hmm. Um, Aaron, what is what are your hopes and dreams for Warcry? How much time do you got? Um, all right, uh, so let's let's start first and foremost i want them to release war bands for all the armies i have and none of the armies i don't uh so let's start there um no I, so there's <laughs> there's a fair number of aos armies that are, aren't represented and I, I do feel like it's probably only a matter of time that if not the majority then 
or if not all of them, then maybe the majority of them will get um, rule sets in uh, Warcry. So I think that would go a long way to bring as many people into the game as possible, because I'm sure there's plenty of folks who said, oh, I'd love to dip my toe in the water, but you know, I've got these armies that I can't use, and I, I sure do wish I could. So I, I'd be interested in, in seeing that play out. Um, Josh talked about the terrain sets, and I am an avid collector of just nonsense. And so these terrain sets are really uh, scratching scratching an itch for me. Um, and I, I would love to see them continue to create uh, either new ones or maybe reinvent the those terrain collections that already exist and sort of you know assign rules to them and, and um, give me, give me the cards for them and, and allow me to play with them. Currently, for instance, I feel like the Dreadhold is just asking uh, to be made into a Warcry set. I mean, it's got all sorts of vertical aspects to it. A lot of, you know, it covers a lot of ground. I feel like it's the right size and scope for a little um, little uh, Warcry table. So I'd be interested to see that play out. Um, additionally, I do... Um, I would love to see what else they can do. They've already proven with these warbands that they can get wildly creative with what chaos means. And um, I'd love for them to continue to explore that for chaos, but maybe even furthermore, explore, explore what... Um, unique ways they can look at the other grand alliances that don't necessarily fit in with those larger factions that we see. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, it takes so much, I assume it takes quite a bit of development time to create a new army or to add stuff to a given army. Um, So if you want to keep checking new units onto your to well skaven is chaos but you know sylvaneth or i'm just looking at my wall here or stormcast eternals like maybe that takes a lot of lead time but maybe an artist or a sculptor has an idea for just a small faction of creative unique you know order forces or or destruction forces that no one has any intention of ever making a full-blown like aos army for i want them to be able to express that and come up with new uh ideas that can be you know represented on the table and sort of at that small scale so they've proven that they can do it with chaos i'd love to see it for those other grand alliances as well i mean down the line i'm sure it'll take some time to see something like that but it'd be cool eventually yeah yeah they've been able to i mean underworlds is an example where they've been able to take an existing you know faction and just make it in a small warband size of variation and uniqueness and stuff. So um, it'd be cool if they could do something like that here. Uh, but even, yeah, explore those concepts. I like that a lot. Uh, Paven, what are you excited for the future? Oh, I'm excited for all of it, Eric. Um, like new warband rules, like echoing everybody, of course, yes. Like let everybody into the party. Uh, new models, heck yes. Like, you know, that's why I'm here. I love, I love new minis. Give me like, give me the more, uh, train sets are really cool. I want some more of those more campaign quests. Yeah. I, that's a little bit stressful. I want to com- finish the ones I got first, but <laughs> I do want, I do want them to write more of those, uh, so I can do them. I think the thing that I'm most, I would like to put on my top of my wish list is like a crunchier campaign system. So, I mean, I really like how it is now. I like that it's like low barrier entry. I want to really grow like this game and have as many people participate. And I think not having like a bunch of tables to roll on makes it easier to people to join. But I want a lot of tables to roll on. Like I want like to finish a battle and then like half the time I'm spending is just like, you know, rolling for all my, you know, chaos tokens and little like upgrades and who lives and who dies and who loses a leg. Like I really loved that part of Mordheim. And like I want to, I want to see, I want to be able to opt into that. Um, so that I think that would be really cool. Uh, yeah, I think it'd be kind of cool to have like an upgrade screw, sprue that's a downgrade sprue. Uh, 
where it gives you peg legs and arm stumps. <laughs> oh yeah, and uh, and like an axe in the head or something like that. Uh, yeah, a uh, hobby opportunity. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I think I think you're onto something there for sure. In terms of one having something that you can just like, okay, now I'm ready to go a little deeper, get a little crunchier, um, have higher stakes um, for your narrative, um, and also kind of. Uh, ability to kind of rip those models apart if you're interested uh, to kind of do some work on them and, and maim them a little bit. You're going to make um, me sick. Uh, um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm definitely interested in kind of some of the layers. So I think like you said, the a crunchier campaign system could be a layer easily set atop of this, right? Where you're just like, okay, here's just an added couple of steps in the aftermath uh, phase, right? to just make it a little bit more higher stakes. Um, I'm interested in a few things like um, <laughs> some different game styles, or maybe they're, you know, the victory cards, obviously I haven't played through all of them, but um, you know, one where you have a rampaging Gargant uh, that you have to deal with, or, you know, like uh, in age of Sigmar, there's a, a one where you don't wake, don't wake the beast or something like that, like a beast hunt. Um, I think that would play really well in uh, Warcry or, um, a moving objective that is hard to pin down that could play like, um, you know, a, a greased pig or, um, you know, a magical will-o'-wisp or something like that, right? Um, that just ha- could be skinned a bunch of different ways. Um, I'm eager for some more, uh, like you said, more terrain, but even maybe more... Um, uh, we, you know, we've talked a little bit already about house ruling some things. If you fall from higher elevations, um, um, you know, so maybe there's you know just a few more dice rolls on the injury table, or you know, you get uh, to get injured if you roll from higher heights. And 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 Davy and I were talking about that. Um, but but even like I've got ideas for uh, you know doing rope swings. Or, you know, you, you'd step on the, the platform and you cut the pulley and you zoom up to the top of the, um, you know, the, the third story of something or whatever. Like, have some different movement shenanigans or, like, just, again, they've done a good job of, like, the cinematic run, jump, climb, uh, attack, fall kind of stuff. It does feel very, like, James Bond, uh, you know, parkour or whatever. But I want I want to heighten that. And then... Like you said, I'm I'm curious about whether or not they'll come out with that crunchier campaign system or what that means. Um, I'm also interested in, in developing the map side of it, right? Having territories that provide different types of benefits than just thralls or added points to your system, but maybe they give you access um, to... I don't know, something bigger. You can you put down a wall or a rock or a meteor comes out of the sky or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so so I think there's just a lot of different ways that I think they could stretch it, pull it. Um, and then, of course, yeah, more figures, more, more bands, et cetera. Um, any, any last bits of expectation uh, for, the, for the, the game or the community? Um, something Paven 
uh, said jogged memory. I, I did read somewhere in an interview that they do have intentions to create more campaign quests, and I I would love to see integration with the campaign quests with like the current storyline, like um, in a given age or not, you know uh, major events that are occurring. Let's talk about the Forbidden Power story that's going on. I'd love to see campaign quests for my army to sort of take part in that. Like it'd probably be harder to. It's not impossible, but. I guess we have our battle plans that are related to those forbidden power weeks, but I'd love to see the equivalent of those campaign quests that would put my army in the action and uh, interact with the major events that are occurring now. Um, Cause it mm-hmm. drives me to now, now, of course I am who I am. So I'm, I'm always at the edge of my seat waiting for the next big storyline to occur, <laughs> but um, it would draw in other players who maybe not be, who may not be so tapped into the current storyline to allow them to like integrate their armies with what's going on. Um, and like to get a, just a, a, you know, booklet, a list of all these different campaign quests for all these different armies and how they would react to the major storylines that are going on would be, would be incredibly interesting, regardless if you're in the eight, eight points or not. Um, yeah. But it gives everybody a way to tie into that greater narrative. And it sort of brings folks together. Um, a lot of the campaign quests that exist right now are very um, personal and you're just going on them like by yourself. And that's by design, right? You want to be able to play at your own speed and pace with whoever you can. But if everyone was all thematically linked in some capacity, it would draw you to any compo- any opponent that you'd be playing with um, and has that sort of camaraderie, even though, of course, you're fighting each other and bashing each other's faces in. Um, yeah. Rivalry. Yeah, rivalries. Yeah, exactly. Better, better way to look at <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I guess I'll put it out there too. I mean, uh, upcoming in possibly November, um, I've been talking with uh, Brendan Melnick and uh, Paul from the cast, the Mortal Realms cast, about running an event. Um, we last year we did All Hallows Siege up in Madison, and I'm, I'm really wondering if there. I know there's matched play, but I'm wondering if there's going to be any kind of like campaigns where everybody dives in to the same narrative quest, but from different starting points. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it, if that's not something that comes out, I'm mean, looking forward to kind of writing something like that, where uh, it's, it's kind of the mad dash to the middle who can see, seize the, the sword and pull it from the stone first or something to that effect. Um, but, uh, but yeah, um, Paven, did you have another, yeah, I have an expectation. I expect you guys to see everybody on Thursday for the kickoff of our local campaign. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and not to just keep jumping in, but um, there is a lot of online, like Twitter. Um, there's a lot of, of YouTube and Facebook kind of good energy happening. I have an expectation that, that we maintain kind of a really high uh, positive level of energy with that. Now, I know it's the Internet. And I know that that's not always possible, but I think, you know, I'm committed to, and I think this, this cast is committed to trying to bring as much positivity in playing the hobby, however you want to keep it fun, keep it light uh, as we can. Um, All right. Last call. Uh, I was just going to mention one thing I saw today, actually on a war cry Facebook, just, you know, kind of in tying into how people are, are growing and expanding what's currently available for Warcry, but somebody was developing a zombie attack scenario where four war bands are out there <laughs> asking for input on, you know, what should the stats be for these zombies? They're just rolling on and it's whoever survives. They're fighting each other. They're fighting the zombies. So I think there's a lot of creativity out there and yeah. I, I expect, you know, the games workshop's going to put out stuff, but th- there'll also be lots of people who are willing to add those layers that, you know, we might be craving. So it'll be, it'll be a lot of fun. Absolutely. Well, thank you, gentlemen, again for joining me on this inaugural episode of Dogs of War Cry. Thank you again. 
It's time to put a muzzle on this episode. If it was a good, good dog, support the show with a positive review on iTunes, sharing it with friends, joining us for hobby discussions at themotorrealms.com forward slash discord, or leave a tip at themotorrealms.com forward slash Patreon. More content is available at themotorrealms.com and on Twitter at Dogs of Warcry. Welcome to the Dogs of Warcry.